Harrison Smith, writer and producer of the acclaimed thriller The Fields, director and writer of the cult classic slasher Camp Dread, brings you his biggest film yet, the horror star-studded roller coaster ride Death House. Smith's love for 80s-style horror has cut loose in Death House, dubbed the Expendables of Horror. His works include the Corey Feldman Six Degrees of Hell and the zombie actioner Zombie Killers with Billy Zane. Dread Central says Smith is cocksure in terms of his directing and writing ability and proves he knows how to get the most out of the material. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Harrison Smith. And thank you for that completely over-the-top intro done by a friend uh, while we were making Death House. Look, I, I got to use that somewhere. It's just too good to keep as a file on, on my desktop. I also want to start out this podcast by saying if you're a filmmaker out there and you've got something you're working on, you're out there hustling and you're doing it, too many people talk today. If you've got a film, a short film, a, a script, a, a screenplay, and you're out there and you're raising money, you're shaking the money tree, you've got a crowdfunder, I want to hear from you. Let's bring you on the show. Let's hear from you and give you a plug and let people know. I'm out there and I'm busting my ass, man, and I'm trying to get this done and I'm not trying to make something bad. So it doesn't matter what level you're at. Cinema wants to hear from you because if you're out there fighting cynicism and you're out there embracing the dream and you're working and you're hustling and some of you are working day jobs and then you're coming home and you're you're putting your extra money into making this film and you're putting it into special effects, I want to hear from you. Let's bring you on the show. Let's hear from you and, and, and what you're doing to get out there to make things better. So cinema is also about that. It's not about complaining. It's about finding the great stuff out there as well and fighting that cynical attitude. Let's hear about your struggle to make a difference in entertainment. And happy July 4th, 2019. This is Harrison Smith with the all new cinema podcast. What is cinema? I can tell you this. This is not a movie review podcast because we just really need another one of those. I started a cinema blog on horrorfuel.com and that's where you can find me in, in the written blog. And uh, it seemed to take off. I was inspired to write cinema, which is C-Y-N-E-M-A, for a mixture of both cinema and cynicism. I look at the effects of cynicism on filmmaking and entertainment. Really, the it's an ongoing joke on Twitter uh, but the reason why I started this was the movie Jaws the Revenge. Jaws the Revenge symbolizes cinema. If you go back into your archives, there are a number of variations of Michael Caine's quote on Jaws the Revenge. Uh, the most popular translation has been basically that he's never seen the film. And from what he understands, it is terrible. But the house it built is terrific. And that's what kind of inspired me. I will argue, and people have always come back to me in interviews and everything like that, that I will say Jaws the Revenge is the worst motion picture of all time. And I know, well, wait a minute, what about uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and Ed Wood and all those things? Yup, they're all bad. And Mystery Science Theater has done a wonderful job of highlighting really bad movies. But that's not cinema. Cinema is when you take a great franchise like Jaws and you start with the original motion picture. And let's just talk about Jaws for a minute. And you run that franchise into the ground. And by the time we got around to the fourth one, and I know everybody's going, wait a minute, what about Jaws 3D? 
I'm going to argue that while Jaws 3D is a bad film, I'm not going to say that it's cinema. And we'll talk about that in another podcast. Right now, we're talking about cinema and Jaws the Revenge and its inspiration for both my blog and this podcast. Jaws the Revenge had every opportunity to be good. It had roughly a $28 million budget. So let's say for argument's sake, it had a $30 million budget. Not to mention marketing and not to mention that it came right from the head of Universal Studios who was married to Lorraine Gary. So you had a chance to kind of wipe away the stain of Jaws 3D and kind of reboot everything, pretend the third one didn't happen, and you could have started off great. And instead, what they did is they turned around and gave us a psychic shark and a real mess of a motion picture. We'll get into Jaws the Revenge specifically in a separate podcast, but my point is basically that they had every opportunity to make a good film, and their answer was pretty much, we're not bothering to do this. Jaws made X amount of dollars, Jaws 2 made X amount of X, Jaws 3 made money, and by the way, Jaws 3D, a lot of people think was a flop, it was a financial success, and in fact was still making money when they pulled it out of theaters from its theatrical run. We'll talk again about the hit and run process of Jaws 3D. So with Jaws the Revenge, again, everything was in place to make a terrific motion picture, and they just did not care. And that brings me over to the other part of cinema. And lately in entertainment, a lot of people have embraced a product out there, bad product as, well, it's so bad, it's good. And it's my guilty pleasure. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. If you like something, then good for you. And that's all there is to it. If something brings you pleasure and joy, well, that's what really it's all about. So if if some bad movie you absolutely love, who's to say that you cannot enjoy that? I'm not going there with that. What I'm saying is Jaws the Revenge was not created to bring anybody any kind of entertainment. It was created to fleece an audience, to, to squeeze out the last couple bucks of what was left in this franchise and provide people basically with a Christmas vacation to the Bahamas and a tax write-off and a couple paychecks along the way. The textbook definition of cinema is the cynical practice of contempt for an audience in the making of product that is devoid of creativity, passion, production value, or respect while having the financial and creative means to do better. Translated, no one gives a shit. It's also to examine the concept of cinema and understand why society is accepting the mediocre level of quality from our entertainment. And we've reached a point now in in our, our entertainment world where we have so much. We have so much content. You can find it everywhere. And those of you listening that are older than the age of 40, you can remember a time that if you didn't see it in theaters, you just didn't see it. Or you waited at least a year for it to show up on cable. The video windows were still six to nine months out, even a year to wait for something to come on home video, which was beta, VHS, and of course, eventually DVD. There's so much out there. And we look at things and we go, wow, I I love this. I love that. And a lot of the stuff is repetitive. And a lot of it just isn't really good. So when we do find something that comes along that's a tick above average, we turn on the hype machine and now everything is incredible. It's amazing. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, the second coming. And then you watch it and you go, yeah, I guess it was all right. 
So then we become cynical about what we watch. I mean, think about how Netflix is set up. Netflix is set up on the you can do better deal. What's out there that's better? So you watch something, you watch it for 30 seconds. Nah, I'm not going to watch. I'm going to click over to something else. And you watch that and you go, nah, there might be something better out there. We don't give anything a chance anymore. So this allows a lot of mediocre stuff to kind of infiltrate and get out there and make it into the mainstream. When we look at things like the original Halloween, the 1978 Halloween, which we'll be talking about again in a separate podcast. And and that comes into, if that were released today, it would not have a chance theatrically. People think it opened up and it became this instant overnight box office success. Halloween started out with a limited, very small theatrical release, but it was given time to grow and find an audience. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at Mystery Science Theater and look up on Wikipedia about Hobgoblins. No one's going to go out there and defend Hobgoblins as a great piece of cinema. However, Hobgoblins got a theatrical release. I can't believe that. Today it would not. In fact, they made a sequel to it and it was a direct-to-video. I don't even know what kind of distribution Hobgoblins 2 got. That was around like 1988, I believe. So it was a different world for distribution. And even bad movies could find their niche. They could find their audience. Today, it's become, if this thing is not making $100 million in a weekend, well, then it's a failure and we move on. So a lot of smaller films, and that will include eventually my film Death House, they don't stand a chance against these gigantic franchise tentpole picture releases. Remember when you were a kid and you played kickball? I mean, I always use kickball as that example because they'd roll that big rubber ball down from usually a pitcher's base on a baseball field, and it comes to you and you ran up to it and you went to kick that mother and you missed or you kicked it badly. Well, sometimes if you weren't playing it in gym class specifically, you got what was called a do-over. Sometimes kids called them a mulligan. No, 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 I want to do it over again. Well, we're kind of doing that now. When you were dating, you were granted a do-over in relationships called a, a second chance. Please just give me a second chance. Then marriage vow renewals came into play. So basically what you're doing is rebooting your marriage. So by the 90s, new computer terms entered into our lexicon, downloading and surfing and browsing. And there's really one that kind of stuck out, and it is the reboot. If it didn't work, if the computer doesn't work, turn it off and turn it back on and reboot the system. You also had to do a reboot to make necessary changes and software updates that would take an already familiar program and improve upon it. So we do that now. Reboot your phone after updating. When when your phones come in with a new update, you got to reboot. And hopefully the phone is working better. Hopefully this time around, things work. Let's look at the do-over in the way of Hollywood. So Hollywood caught on to the reboot. And reboots can be the same thing as remakes or what they love to call also reimaginings. When they find a dirty word, they kind of just switch it around and give you a different name. It's kind of instead of saying you bought a used car, it's now pre-owned. Those of us who are bald are not bald. We're follically challenged. So you take these names to make things sound better. So usually a, a reboot refers to the jumpstarting of a dead franchise or one that's been played out in the movie world. And remakes have been around a long time, for as Shakespeare once said, there is nothing new under the sun. This is not a debate on the good or bad of remaking or rebooting a film or entertainment franchise. 
we're, we're really looking at as to why there was a sudden surge in remakes and reboots and a strong shift away from trying anything new in the film industry. Hollywood is afraid to try things new. If you can just go out and give us the same but different and bring in that money, then that works. And again, there is nothing wrong with a remake and there is nothing wrong with a reboot. Sometimes we've gotten great ones and we'll talk about that as well. This kind of all brings me around to cinema. In addition to Jaws the Revenge, I used to read Netflix reviews. And if you remember, Netflix used to allow you to post reviews on its site. And I'm not quite sure what they do now. They, they've changed a lot of things. You can only do a thumbs up. They don't really do a star rating anymore. They're looking to make sure that everything that you have out there is good. They, they don't want to scare anybody away. But I remember like when their DVD service was, I used to write up sometimes Netflix reviews on things. And I used to read a lot of these Netflix reviews. And let me tell you something, man. It takes a lot of effort to make a bad movie. And there is a huge difference between cheesy and inept. And we are a society that is becoming incapable of deciding the difference between the two. There is a huge difference between so bad it's good entertainment and a huge difference between just something that is just plain bad. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna give you an example here of, of what I mean. I am a huge fan of the 1979 horror movie, Prophecy. You guys may remember it. It's, it's about the big mutant bear. It has nothing to do with the Christopher Walken supernatural movies. The movie was about this uh, big mutant bear that was created from mercury poisoning in the water, Robert Foxworth and Talia Shire in it. And I am telling you, man, it was a great time. I got to see this in theaters and I had a blast. I saw it twice in theaters and watched it, I swear, almost every time it came on HBO and laughed every time. It was a good time. It is a big, floppy, rubber suit monster swatting people, biting heads off, and it's terrific. And I love it. And it's great cheese. That, people could argue, is, oh, it's such a terrible film. However, it was not made to be a bad film. John Frankenheimer was a top-notch director. He admitted he battled alcoholism on the set and the special effects underwhelmed. But John Frankenheimer did not set out to make a bad movie to fleece the audience. So let's stop here for a minute. Let's get off John Frankenheimer for a moment and talk about Ed Wood. He's kind of the elephant in the room with this, this whole so bad it's good kind of thing. So bad it's good is really predicated upon the idea that people set out to, to actually try to make something here. And even if they did try to make a buck, they wanted to have some fun doing it. I propose this. Ed Wood did not sit around in his apartment or a studio or whatever and sit there and think, how can I screw my audience? I don't think he ever did that. Was he a bad filmmaker? Yeah, we get that. He was not the uh, Spielberg of his time at all. But that's not what it is. He really thought he was creating art. And just because a movie has bad special effects or a lower budget, that doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It just simply fell short of some of the things that it needed to achieve its goal, which is why sometimes a remake is totally warranted because you can go back and kind of do the things that weren't able to be done before. 
Then you get into really gray territory with Lucas going back and redoing the original Star Wars films. The argument there is that's a cynical move to cash in on something that was already good. So there didn't need to be any real improvements there. The argument, of course, is, well, you know, special effects change and now we can do the things that we couldn't do at the time. Maybe so. But there is no doubt that there was a plan to cash in on this. Many fans will argue the original Star Wars film and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, that original trilogy, they didn't need any retouching. Or at the minimum, they did not need any new special effects added. So there is a difference here. I again posit that Ed Wood did not set out to screw people or fleece people by going, I'm going to make the crappiest film I can and really just get people's money so I can run with it. That, my friends, was Jaws the Revenge. They knew they were making garbage. They knew they were making something awful and laughably bad. And they still went ahead and did anyway because they knew there was still gold in that mine. Jaws the Revenge was made by a committee of accountants who said, yeah, you can probably get another 15, 20 million out of this thing. Uh, You can make whatever you want. You can just make a, a rubber shark in a swimming pool and call it Jaws 4 and people will come. That's a big difference. Why weren't audiences more in tune with the fact that Titanic was an enjoyable but overrated B movie with an expensive budget? Why the record number of Oscars and awards and and reign as the all-time highest grossing film? Well, part of the answer is that Titanic is not much different than Armageddon or even the sappy love story with Ryan O'Neill and Ally McGraw. Love means never having to say you're sorry isn't really much different than I'll never let go, Jack, or any of the lyrics from Celine Dion's sap-oozing Oscar-winning song, which in itself was not much different than the sugar-laced wind beneath my wings that I swear could cause you diabetes. And Beaches is really nothing more than an overblown, big-budget Lifetime Channel movie. It has nothing to do with liking, loving, or hating these films. I'm just calling out what we're seeing. So this whole cinema thing is not really about something being bad simply because of subjective taste. This is not a movie review blog. Cinema is about the deliberate production of substandard content and knowing they're making bad stuff with no intention of making anything good. And this is not just a Hollywood problem. Hollywood is is just giving us what we ask for and what we want. The problem rests solely with audiences and what they expect from their culture and pop culture and exercising ownership over it. You know, I'm going to offer that all of this leads to something darker. Our culture is rotting, and it's been for some time. And look, every generation thinks, oh, what we had was better. Our television was better. Our movies were better. Everything was always better in somebody else's previous time. And and the millennials have taken an ass kicking, and they're the blame for everything. And they're wimps and oversensitive. And Generation Z is even worse. And how is anything going to happen in the future? How are we going to get anything done? And everybody fears for the future of this country. I'm not here to, to rant on how everything was better back in the day. The hope of this is to look into a trend that can be validated by viewing website comment sections and video reviews. And don't even get me started on trailer reviews. We're going to be talking about all of that stuff. Part of this is a national narcissism 
that trends nationalism and basic patriotism, it's a shift in culture by a population that has become so self-centered, it's really lost its ability to see what it is doing to itself by what it endorses and embraces, and, and really in plainer terms, folks, what it thinks is good. What do we embrace? What do we value? That's really what it comes down to. So the whole concept of cinema is knowing just what defines a truly bad movie and what is being passed off as good to an audience that really doesn't know the difference. Cinema is also about all the negativity that's out there. People online hide behind that anonymity. They just want to hate for the sake of hating. As, as Michael Caine said in, in a much better film, some men just want to watch the world burn. We have a lot of armchair critics, and, and these days, look, we have people that think because they have WordPress and a laptop or a tablet, they're a critic. And you also have people who think because I have a prosumer camera and Final Cut Pro, I'm a movie maker. So we want to look at all these things. What are the qualifications? What is critical thinking? And most of all, what is there to contribute instead of just tearing down? This is about looking at what we watch and what we bring in. And it's not telling anyone, well, you can't watch this or what you watch is no good. We have a hype machine that goes out there and tries to get people to come see something, you know, for example, The Babadook. The Babadook is the scariest movie ever made or the scariest movie I ever saw, according to the director of The Exorcist. And while he may have felt that way, it was advertised wrongly. The Babadook is, in my opinion, I thought it was it was a very entertaining film. I enjoyed it. It was beautifully made. There, there were no issues with that. But to go out there and build this from the director of The Exorcist as the scariest movie he's ever seen, that is setting a really, really high bar. And so when people do go to see it and they have this high expectation and what they get is something south of that expectation... Well, then it turns into backlash and it turns into, oh, that, that was nowhere near as scary. That was awful. No, the Babadook is not awful. Hereditary is not awful. And you know what? You're allowed to not like uh, Get Out or Us and not be a racist. You're allowed to show that maybe you didn't care for something because the hype machine told you that you should and because you found it less than what it was hyped and marketed at suddenly you're a hater. We're going to look at all of those things. You can dislike something based upon your own personal critique and criticism instead of just labeling something that it sucks. The point is critical thinking is something that we've lost as a nation. And maybe if we applied that more, we wouldn't even be in the political mess that we are now and have been for some time. It all comes back to Jaws the Revenge. Everything I just said does not apply to Jaws the Revenge. No one may like Jaws the Revenge. In fact, a constitutional amendment should be passed preventing anyone from liking Jaws the Revenge. Of course, I'm joking. It has nothing to do with somebody saying, well, I really like it. Good, then go like it. That's not what I'm attacking. What I am saying is, is that the people behind Jaws the Revenge took basically about $30 million and did it to make a lot of money for themselves with zero regard for the audience. How do you go from a masterpiece like Jaws to Jaws the Revenge? If Jaws were handled by a lesser director, 
Jaws could have been just a really bad, cheesy monster movie. And those of you who know of Jaws and know the background of Jaws or follow the daily Jaws, those guys can tell you there was a fine line between genius and absolute cheese or garbage. Jaws turned out great because it was in the hands of capable people who were passionate about film. Yeah, they want to make some money. Yeah, they didn't mind winning a few awards. But the goal was to make a good film. And that's not just Spielberg. That was Verna Fields, the editor, Bill Butler, cinematography, and most of all, the producers, Zanuck and Brown. They cared about what they were making. So that's the difference between Jaws and Jaws the Revenge. You can argue about Jaws 2 all you want. I will go into a podcast about Jaws 2 and tell you, while some people don't like Jaws 2, that's fine. However, Jaws 2 is not a cynical film. Jaws 2 may be a lesser film than Jaws. I always argue that Jaws 2's biggest crime is that it's just simply not Jaws. But it is not a cynical motion picture. Jaws 3, I will argue, is not a cynical motion picture. I think it was made by people who truly cared about making a good film and it just wasn't in the cards. But there is nothing about the production of Jaws the Revenge that says or shows any evidence whatsoever of trying to make a good movie that would entertain people and follow the legacy of a great original film. So my next podcast is going to support all of that, not just say Jaws the Revenge sucks. My next podcast will be about Jaws the Revenge with plenty of supporting evidence to underscore exactly what cinema is all about. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And again, if you're a filmmaker out there busting your ass, I want to hear from you. Contact me on my cinema Gmail at cinema85 at gmail.com or my company website, which is classof85llc at gmail.com. Have a great holiday and looking forward to talking with you again. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review. And if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison. If you like this podcast and if you're an aspiring filmmaker making your way through the independent film minefield, I offer one-on-one coaching sessions by phone or Skype. Email me at this site or classof85llc at gmail.com for information and pricing. I offer input on your completed or in-development film or screenplay and offer insight into all aspects of pre-production, production, and post, and eventual distribution. Hope to hear from you.